Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today on the show, I am super pumped to have our newest husband material coach, Marcus Spar. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Eastern Washington in the house. (laughs) Streaming to you from his streaming studio. Is that obvious it's such a streaming studio over here? I think so. I try and make it look like that. (laughs) We see some of the souvenirs you have from the different adventures you've had virtually. And I just love that about you. I love that you have been a content creator for years. Yeah, it was actually something that my wife wanted to start. And after a year, she just kind of got burnt out from it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm still enjoying it. So I'll just take it over. I'll do, I won't just be talent in the videos. I'll help with the the editing and, you know, worry about uploading and comments. And it's been mine for about four years now. And I still enjoy it. And recently celebrating six years of freedom from porn. Six years. By the time this podcast comes out, I will be celebrating six years of freedom in my walk away from pornography. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> awesome. Such a great victory. Yeah. And even more than that, what you have been released into in terms of the healing and the transformation. And now using your voice to help others as a coach. I mean, you've been a leader before in other programs like Avenue, and now you're coming to Husband Material after going through the program. So Marcus, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got here. Yeah, so you've already touched base on some of it. I am a husband, I'm a brother and a son, I'm a writer, I'm a small-time YouTuber and Twitch streamer, and I'm also a comedian if making myself laugh is considered comedy. (laughs) And I also have this incredible passion and desire that God's given me to help other men break free from their own bondage and the the statement that keeps coming to my mind is i want to help these men become the best men that they can be this side of heaven i love that and before this became a new chapter of your story you came to husband material first for yourself and i would love for people to hear a little bit more about how you found Husband Material and how it helped you. Yeah, I found Husband Material through the Pure Desire podcast. Actually, it was, I believe, the first time you were a guest on their podcast. I've been listening to that podcast and some other purity podcasts for a long while now. And I heard about this guy, Drew Boa and Husband Material. And it's like, oh, hey, he has a podcast too. Well, I'll just subscribe to that one. And I just started consuming the content on your podcast. And I'm like, there's something different about this guy and what he does. He's, he's not your, your typical purity guru, so to speak. And I 
heard about Husband Material Academy, and I jumped on board as soon as I could with that. And I was one of those crazy people that went through all 12 weeks of content in the 12 weeks that it was said (laughs) to go through. And uh, those of you who are deciding to take it like one video a week, you guys are probably the smart ones. (laughs) But I grew. I learned so much going into my story. And in the time that I led some pure desire groups and avenue groups at my church i i had growth they they did a great job they they helped me to to find some boundaries and some guardrails in order to make this more manageable but i can recall over 4 years of working on my own freedom only one story that really came up to mind and it was a deep wound within me and i was able to share it with this good group of guys shared it with my wife i was able to talk with my dad about it who was the one who gave me the wound and then in 12 weeks of husband material academy i don't think i've cried more going into my story and discovering the wounds and discovering the pacifiers and the pain that I had to endure. It was incredible. The growth was exponential once I started getting into my story. And I want to help others do the same thing now. Once, once I was done with HMA, I jumped into a group with Drew and now I've got some really good guys that know me on a very deep level and have been there through some of the tears and some of the, the pains and the trauma that I've processed. And it is so beautiful to have these guys see me at my worst and be like, man, that is powerful. We're here for you and we love you and accept you and we want to support you. And I would add, we've seen you at your best. We've seen you in the triumphs and reversing the curse of evil and sin in your life and experiencing redemption and delight and now purpose. I mean, we've seen the heights and the depths. And the only way that we can get into those heights is if we go into the depths of our story. Yes. And that's one of the reasons I love the title of your new coaching ministry between the covers. Yeah, between the covers coaching, because it's only going to be through the story that is between the covers of your life that we're going to find real lasting freedom and healing. I love it. So let's get into a part of our stories that we don't often associate with sexual brokenness. And that is our siblings. A lot of times on this podcast, we've talked about healing father wounds with Chris Bruno or mother enmeshment is a topic that often comes up. We don't often talk about siblings or the lack of siblings if you were an only child. And Marcus, your siblings have played a huge role in your life. How do our siblings impact us? 
It's interesting that you bring that up. There is a lot of content that is about the caregivers. In fact, I was a part of um, a conference this last weekend where that was the focus is the impact of the caregivers. Not to minimize the role of our parents, but it's missed that we have people in our lives that in many ways spend more time with us on a regular basis and can impact our lives in a way that no one else can. And they're called our siblings. Mm -hmm. And some of those siblings, you have wonderful relationships with them. I have an identical twin brother. He and I were as thick as thieves growing up. I didn't need anyone else in my life. I had my twin brother. He understood me. I understood him. We wanted to spend time together. Some people have siblings where they are the absolute worst. You're being picked on. They're older and they're just teasing you all the time. They're younger and they're nagging and following you around and you just want your freedom. And then you also have individuals where they don't have any siblings. They don't know what it's like to have someone around their age within the same house that sees them when they're naked in the bath, that sees them when they are crying in their bedroom and they're on the other side of the door. You don't have that support. You don't have the blessing. You don't have the curse of a sibling. And it uh, every single one comes with its own triumphs comes with its own trauma and i mean i've heard stories of only children that really struggle to relate with people mm-hmm. because they didn't have someone to practice on mm. these are siblings to practice a lot of things yeah. and then you have those who are like God, I just wish I was an only child. You don't know what I had to put up with from my older sister, from my older brother, or, you know, being the middle child. And you just kind of feel like you're not even noticed. Or you're the youngest child and you feel coddled. And then everyone else is jealous of you because you're getting all of mom and dad's attention. It's a very different dynamic compared to what you experience from your caregivers who they love you. Hopefully they love you. They support you and they want to give you their attention. And that attention has to be shared. And that means that sometimes your siblings are the ones that are giving you the most attention. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is so important. Our siblings or lack of siblings have a huge impact on shaping who we are as we grow up. I have a sister who's a year and a half younger and I may never know all of the developmental gifts that that has brought to me. Certainly it prevented a lot of the loneliness and the isolation that I would have felt as a kid growing up moving around between countries. She was the only person who also went through that experience with me. 
We were third culture kids. I didn't even know that was a category until I got to college. I was like, what's a third culture kid? Oh, it's me. And so she shared that with me, moving between Puerto Rico and Mexico and Texas and Canada. And also, I did see ways that my relationships with peers, specifically girls, were really shaped by my relationship with my sister and my mother, for sure. And not all of it was positive. There were times, many times growing up, when I couldn't remember her laughing at me. And it felt like some of the times when we were closest was when we were laughing. And if I wanted to get close to her, I would try to find a way to make her laugh, even if I humiliated myself. And that's just a pattern of relating that has continued in some ways in my life. So that's a little bit of my story with my sister. Marcus, tell us about your relationship with your twin brother. One thing that came up through my own story work with my, in regards to my relationship with my twin brother, and it was a little, not a little, it was very hard for me to come to terms with and accept is that I had an enmeshed relationship with my twin brother. I didn't need anyone else. Yeah, I had an older brother. He was fun to be around at sometimes, but most of the time it seemed he was just ridiculing us. He was two and a half years older. And parents were great. They they helped to bring about our own childlike curiosities and supported us in the things that we wanted to do within reason. And I had this one person who looked exactly like me and we were, we were the best of friends since even before birth. You know, I joke around saying that we were womb mates. (laughs) I never had a roommate in my life but I've had a womb mate and he was someone I was developing a bond with before I could even start bonding with my own mother. And he was my best friend. I loved him. He loved me. I could go to him for anything. We supported each other. We shared a room, albeit much longer than we should have. By the time you're a teenager or even preteen, you probably shouldn't be sharing a room with a sibling, but that was part of my story. And we we just thrived on the same adventures and we enjoyed playing the same video games. We loved the same stories. We loved the same comedies, the same movies. You know, we grew up with three stooges and, you know, we, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon for us to walk around doing, you know, and acting like the three stooges and just being goofballs. That's what we thrived at was just being, we loved each other's company. And that was a part of my life for the first 11, 12 years of my existence was I woke up every morning with my best friend. That's intimacy. 
it is like true intimacy. Did we always get along? No, I don't know of a single sibling that doesn't. It was easier for us to reconcile though. If there was any kind of a fissure between us, we felt it. We felt it deeply. And we did not like that fissure. We didn't like being separated from each other. And that is one of the biggest and most traumatic parts of my story is when my twin brother decided at a very healthy age, he wanted to have a girlfriend. And he devoted a lot of time and energy to that. That meant that he was spending less time with me. And that's where diving into the story, that's where I found out there was this enmeshment that was happening. I lost the person that I was the closest to. He wasn't spending as much time with me. I did not realize how much of my identity came from him. I didn't often know who I was outside of my twin relationship. In school, having a brother who's two and a half years older, he would set a name for the spars. He was the athlete. He was the star athlete. He was the quarterback on the football team. He was phenomenal on the basketball court. He was good. And he got a lot of attention. And then you have these two pudgier lookalikes that come in later that share the same last name. We were not ourselves in the eyes of others. We were Spars brothers because we were recognized by our oldest brother and his abilities. I think oftentimes that was a lot of people couldn't tell us apart. I look at baby photos. I can't tell which is which unless I flip it over. And if my mom and dad were (laughs) gracious enough to write down who's on which side, then it's like, oh, so that, that's me. Most people couldn't tell us apart. It was easier to call us the Spar Twins or we were Spar's brothers. And I lost some of that identity when my twin brother and I were no longer a unit together. Yeah. So you lost your identity and you lost that intimacy that you'd always known. I wonder if some guys are listening to this thinking, oh, that's what I long for. The brother who could share life with me, the one who knows me inside and out, who I wake up every morning and we're spending time together longing for that because they never had it. Well, you had it and you knew what it was like and then you lost it. There is a saying that sometimes it is better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. I'm actually quoting the movie Van Helsing on that one, but I find it very true. At the same time, when you have someone who is as close to you as a twin brother, they can also cause you the most harm. 
And if you think about it, when we get into a committed relationship, I am now taking my heart and I'm putting it in the hands of my wife. And I'm saying, this is me. I have chosen to accept your heart. I am asking you to accept mine. And I am giving her permission to hurt me in ways that only she can. And I have permission to hurt her in ways that only I can. And on the flip side of that coin, we also have the opportunity to love each other in ways that only we can. And you have to take that sacrifice. It has to involve that step of putting yourself out there for someone to love. And yes, that means it's going to hurt if you're not accepted. That means that you're putting yourself out there to experience some trauma from someone who knows you on a very deep level. Yet in order to experience that true brotherhood or that true bond with your spouse, the only way that you can do that is you put yourself into a position where you can be hurt again in a way that you're not going to like it. That's why so many wives or girlfriends are so hurt by the pornography or having an affair or the masturbation that men are doing because it is essentially taking their hearts and saying, I love you, but this is still important to me. It's the only way I have to cope. I'm not coming to you I'm choosing someone else. And that's painful on wives. That's painful on girlfriends. And going through this process of healing, we need to find men who are going to accept us at our worst and our best. And you know what? It's the same thing. Taking my heart, and I could even say, I'm giving my heart to you, Drew. As my brother, as my friend, I'm giving you my heart. You accept me for who I am, and I'm also putting myself at risk for being hurt. Yes. In a way that only you can. I can tell you guys, though, the risk is worth it. It's a mess worth making. And also brings up all kinds of triggers. So tell us more about what happened when your brother got a girlfriend. The story actually starts before he got a girlfriend. He was in pursuit of a girlfriend. And anyone who was trying to find a girlfriend or some kind of relationship when they were, say, in maybe as early as sixth grade, Hormones are raging. You get someone who just looks at you the right way and you are like, oh, wow. Yeah, I want to see more of what this is about. This was before there were cell phones. So I'm dating myself. I realized that. We had a phone upstairs in the kitchen and then we had a phone downstairs in the hallway between all of our bedrooms. And my twin brother would take the phone, remove it from the wall, 
and have it resting on the ground so that he could have the entire phone cord length and the actual receiver phone length so that he could sit on the couch in the basement and talk on the phone for hours with girls that he was interested in. I was screaming for attention in some of the only ways that I knew how. And one story that keeps coming up during this time is my brother was having another marathon session on the phone before dinner. And I was walking by the phone and I go and I just start punching numbers on the phone. And for those who are like, well, why would you do that? Back in the day before cell phones, you had the receiver here and then the buttons were somewhere else typically. (laughs) And if someone is on the phone and you started pushing the buttons, you heard the button presses. Yes. Both people on the phone could hear it. And I would do that. And I can remember this one time I was doing that just as my own way of screaming to my brother, I miss you and I want to spend time with you. And I could only hear what my brother was saying. And he says, oh, that's just my brother. You can ignore him. Mm. I was, I went from having the closest bond with my best friend and I was relegated to being ignored. I didn't have that close of a relationship with my eldest brother. By this time, I learned from my parents that if I came to them with a problem, most of the time they were going to turn around and say, well, if you're going to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. My home was not safe. I was safe with my twin brother, and now I'm being ignored. I had no anchor in my life in this tumultuous storm called puberty, called school, called home life. I had no anchor, and I was all alone because my twin brother said, I could just be ignored. That sent me into one of the deepest, darkest times in my existence. And I still have not found that bond that my twin brother and I shared growing up. Thinking back on it, considering it was enmeshed, I probably shouldn't see that kind of relationship again. But I don't have my friend like I used to. And it seems that as we continue to get older and he's raising a family and I'm starting a new business, we just seem to be drifting further apart no matter how much we try and come closer together. And I still feel that void inside of me. I love my brother. Don't get me wrong. I'll never stop loving my twin brother. But it's just not the same as what it used to be. And I miss him. I miss him dearly. I don't think I'll ever stop missing him. 
And that's a burden that I have to carry. Because of this love that I shared with someone who was so close to me. I have great friends that I've met on my healing journey. I have friends from the group coaching. I have friends from Husband Material Academy. None of them are my twin brother. That just feels like it is a place inside of me that will just remain a void, will remain empty. And yes, God can provide. God loves me. I understand. I love God and I love Jesus with all my heart. But God's also not my twin brother. Mm. Yes, God has been there with me. But my twin brother had a very special place in my heart and in my life. Man, Drew, we, we got to quit having these conversations where I break down in tears. It's becoming too normal. It's so sacred. These tears are treasures and they're, they're showing the riches of your emotional life of the man God created you to be, who is able to experience sorrow without putting a silver lining on it. And by entering this sorrow, it has taken you to new depths of compassion for others and being one of the most loving, present, consistent, affirming brothers I've ever had. And the only way I was able to get there, besides just through the grace of God, was putting my heart out there. Mm -hmm. And it's a part of my story. I know how it feels to be so close to someone and then lose it. I know how difficult it is to have someone that you love being emotionally ripped away from you. That's a whole nother story, but it involves my, it involves my twin and his ex-wife. But I have seen the pain that people have experienced in their own lives. And I can find so many parallels in my own story. So you can empathize. You can go there with people and you've been there with me. And not only can I go there, I'm happy to go there. I am happy to go there with others and let them experience someone who truly gets it and someone mm-hmm. who is who understands and empathizes. And even if it's just me sitting there with them, I want to share this love and this compassion with others. And that's a desire that God's given me. It's your beauty. It's your strength. It's your giftedness. And it is so connected to that story of suffering. Exactly. And you've been able to move into that story of suffering so you can reach the resurrection power on the other side. But it wasn't always that way. 
you actually closed your heart off from others for many years. And you hinted at that before. So help us connect the dots between how this situation with your twin brother contributed to your sexual brokenness and your struggle with porn. Yeah. So I shared earlier that I didn't have an identity outside of my brother. And I was known as Spar. I was known as the Spar twins. I was known as Spar's brothers and people oftentimes struggled to tell us apart. So my twin brother and I got in the habit of responding to each other's names because we figured someone was calling out to one of us and they might not have known which one they were trying to call out to. Then I have this experience of losing my brother. I was all alone. I had people who didn't understand me. And as you said, Drew, I closed my heart off. It took me into a deep depression. And I became a very angry individual. I was on guard all the time. I actually shared with a therapist years ago that I felt like I had to be on guard no matter what. I was always on. That is a very unhealthy way of living. It is very taxing. And really the only way that you can always be on is if you're angry. I was an angry teenager. And because of that, I became the evil twin. While my twin brother, if I'm the evil twin, then by nature, that makes him the good twin. And as awful as that sounds, I relished in being the evil twin. I relished in it because I had an identity. I had something that was uniquely me, even if it made people off-put around me. If it made people like walk on eggshells around me, I knew who I was. I was the evil twin. And it's actually a really odd thing that I don't know if this came from this experience or if it helped bring about this identity, but my laugh just naturally became evil, like maniacally evil kind of thing to where I was, I was reading some dialogue from this character in a story that my wife and I were going through and the person laughed and I laughed maniacally at it and she stopped and looked at me and she's like babe that was evil (laughs) i'm like i told you i had an evil laugh (laughs) yeah can you give us maybe a sample of what you're talking about well i mean it depends are we going just like you know someone who's just like laughing on the side or are we talking like mad scientist maniacal laughter I want the full mad scientist. You want the full mad scientist? Okay. Yeah. So a maniacal scientist laugh usually has a bit of a buildup. I'm about to knock my light over here. <clears throat> wow. I apologize for everyone wearing hair <laughs> headphones. That's probably going to be peaking a lot. 
<laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, and it's it's something that still stuck with me, but I know it's not a part of my identity anymore. Right. It's right. just it's it's fun character acting at this point. <laughs> yeah, and as off-putting as it may have been, that identity of being the evil twin still connected you to your brother. It did. I still had a connection to him. I was the evil half. He was the good half, but we were still two halves of the same whole. And he had his own identity. I had my own identity. We both relished in those roles that we had. I was, I started wearing black and red. Those were, those were the colors that I wore all the time. Why? Because as the evil twin, those resembled the colors of death and blood. Mm. You know, makes sense. My brother was more into like the blues and the whites. Why? Those were more associated with goodness and holiness. And it still gave us individual identities. But as you said, it also still connected us together. Yeah. And it was, it was also a persona that helped to keep people at a distance. Mm-hmm. I would not allow anyone to get close to me. I don't know how it is for most men, but for me personally, I did not start pursuing a romantic relationship until I was a senior in high school. Hell no was anyone going to get close enough to me to hurt me like my twin brother did. I needed to navigate the most difficult time of my life on my own. School wasn't safe for me. My home wasn't safe for me. I was bullied by my peers. I was ridiculed by some teachers. I was, that bullying continued at home with my dad and with my two brothers. You want to talk about the hurt of siblings. It just continued at home. It was not safe. And where did I end up finding safety? I found safety in the girls of my classes. They were the ones who accepted me. And that shows in the porn use that I used to indulge in and the fantasies that I still struggle with. That I had a very, I've heard a lot of people share this kind of a story where they were hurt by men and by peers in their lives. And it ends up turning into same-sex attraction where they are pretty much fawning over the attention of these men to have good attention from them because they didn't get that. I went the total opposite direction. I didn't want men anywhere in my fantasies unless it was me. And that shows in the pornography I pursued. One of my biggest fantasies was lesbian pornography. Why? Because there's no men involved. There's no one there who's going to hurt me because it was women in my life who loved and accepted me. And when my entire day 
is surrounded with people not accepting me, people teasing and bullying me. And then I come home and I'm still being teased and bullied by my own family. The only way I knew how to cope was by going to the safety and the security that the female form gave me. And it's something that I've had to accept, but pornography saved my life through those dark times. It also tried to ruin my marriage and ruin my life afterwards when I no longer needed it and I just couldn't give it up. It was a rough time. It impacted me in ways that I'm still discovering. And I still love and appreciate my brother. And I'm having to also learn that I need to set acceptable boundaries with not just with him, but even with the rest of my family, because even today, my brothers still hurt me. Mm-hmm. I just want to pause and honor what you just shared. It's showing us how much work you have done to make sense of this story, to fully process it and find out how these pieces fit together. And for everyone who's watching and listening to this, know that your story makes sense too. It does. Your fantasies and attractions and instincts and impulses all make sense in light of your story. The question we need to ask is what my professor, Dr. Adrian Hickman taught me. What makes this make sense? Whatever fantasy you have, whatever sexual appeal magnetically draws you in, What makes it make sense? And it's not always a logical, rational, direct causation. Like you said, Marcus, some people will have that experience with men growing up and go a completely different direction. Based on what you said, your story, while it's not the formula for all stories, it makes sense. And that kind of clarity is available when we do our work, when we get between the covers And it shows us where to go next because having been hurt so deeply by men, you now spend a lot of time with men. You now open your heart to men. You are now going into places of trauma and brokenness with men in ways that may have been unfathomable to you at a younger age. Exactly. And when I joined my first men's group, About six years ago, when I started this journey, that was a big step for me because it was men who had hurt me the most growing up. And I was with other men who were struggling with their own unwanted sexual behavior. And I'll admit, this was the first time I knew there was anything out there that helped with this other than like S.A., and I, I wasn't a big believer in the 12 steps, mostly because I didn't understand it. And I think also at the time, I didn't really want to commit to going to a meeting every single week. That just seemed like, oh, God, that was a lot of time. That was a lot of effort. I was, I was in such denial still at that time, but I knew I needed something. And I was invited to a conquer group at 
a friend's church who knew of my struggle. And I slowly started opening up to these men. And one of the things about me when I'm in a new situation, especially a new group of people, I am very reluctant to get in. I have to, it was my nature to stay on the outside and I had to observe to see if it was going to be safe. And I saw these other men sharing some of their deepest, darkest secrets and their struggles and their fantasies. I saw men just all out weep. I rarely ever saw that. Men didn't cry. What is this? (laughs) I didn't know what was going on. And I saw these guys just break down, weeping, sharing their stories. And something moved within me where it's like, this is what I have been seeking, but in all the wrong places. I wanted to have safe men to come around me in an area that most women can't fathom. I kept going to Eve to find my solution when I had to go to Adam. Hmm. And I finally found men who were safe and I started opening up and I found acceptance. And these guys are like, wow, that's really rough stuff that you're, you're dealing with. I'm so sorry. How can we help you? How can we pray for you? I gave them some of, not all, I wasn't that open at the time, but I gave them some of the pages between my covers mm-hmm. and they took them and they handled them with such grace and love and compassion. I started seeing men in a different light. Mm. They weren't my enemy. They weren't to be feared. And I took that and started leading my own groups. Mm-hmm. I started finding more healing in my story after setting up good boundaries, after making calls every single week to men and trying to connect with them, going through the steps of what I was told to do. Not just show up to a meeting, I'm done for the week, not treat it like a church service where you go into church on Sunday and you're churched up as much as you need until the next Sunday. No, I was connecting with men. I was being honest with them. I found men who wanted to be with me. I saw men in these groups that connected with me and they're like, you know what? This guy, Marcus, is someone that I want to get to know more. And they shared with me and I shared with them. And I still have good friendships with men from early on in my journey that I still connect with on a regular basis. And stepping into facilitating these own groups, wanting to help these men, I saw incredible growth in men who were doing the work, getting into the trauma, getting into their stories, not avoiding them. As I shared earlier, When I joined Husband Material Academy and even did the group coaching in Husband Material, 
I saw men going even deeper in their stories than in anything else that I had done. And I saw men literally walls breaking, fortifications breaking, and they were starting to live and walk in freedom that they'd never experienced. Yeah, it's powerful when those tears flow freely and the Holy Spirit is is coming in and bringing God's love to places where it hasn't touched before. Marcus, you turning around and leading others feels to me like such a redemptive reversal of you being the evil twin. It very much is. It is reversing the curse of being the evil twin. And one of the things that came through in my own story is that I didn't want to be the evil twin. I wanted to be the hero of my story. And not like what you would expect nowadays where you have like the ambiguously gray villains that might do a good thing or you have the anti-heroes where they're really a villain but you know they eventually get turned over to the good side. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to be the person that comes in and helps and saves and rescues. And that's when I, I, that broke me when I found that out. Mm -hmm. And it was actually through story work. I was writing up a fantasy. Yes. And I'm like, as I'm doing this, I'm like, well, this is kind of odd. So it was actually writing up a fantasy that was just kind of in my mind. And it's like something that I was being triggered and aroused by. And the whole thing of this fantasy was me helping a woman who was stranded on the side of the road, taking her over to her place, making sure everything was good and ready so that she could get her car back. Everything was going to be fine. And in true fantasy fashion, that turns into things very inappropriate as it continues on. But one thing that stuck out to me is she kept calling me a hero. Mm-hmm. And that was news to me. I wasn't the hero. I was the evil twin. I was the one everyone feared. And yet, in this fantasy, I had this woman calling me the hero. Not just the hero, her hero. Mm. And that moved me in a way that I did not fathom to where I recognize that I am the hero of my own story. And by helping other men who are so stuck in their own rituals and behaviors and patterns, I am getting into their story and helping them to become the hero of their own story. Let's go. I think God has it out for every man out there to be the hero of his own story. And we're settling for something way less than that. And I can tell you, walking in, being the hero of my story, has given me such a purpose in my life to where I truly believe and feel that I am living the 
best life I can this side of heaven. I am the best Marcus I can be at this time as God continues to bring me closer to the perfection that he has for us through Jesus Christ. And that is beautiful. It is life-giving. And I am waking up every morning ready to take on the day because, by God, I'm the hero. (laughs) I'm not going to be complacent. I'm not going to lie down, roll over, and let the world trample over me. I am going to stand strong. I am going to be the hero who wins at the end of the day. I'm in stunned silence at the power of what just came out of your voice. And it reminds me of that tagline that you often include at the end of an email message, live strong for today. Yeah, I will. I'll, this is me being totally transparent. There's actually a second part of that phrase that I used to say, and people said it was too morbid. It was, it's actually a part of this book that I'm working on between this master and the student. They have this saying, live strong for today or die trying. And I am living strong every single day. And as people may say that it's morbid, but you know what? I am going to die trying to live strong and be the man that I can be. It is worth it. It's worth the pain. It's worth the heartache because through that, I am getting acceptance. I am getting love. I am getting genuine friendships and relationships that are edifying to me and I in return am edifying to others. Yes. You are both receiving these good desires from God, finding them with other people, giving that acceptance and love to yourself and then overflowing. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that litany before it sinks into people's minds that this is a life well lived and this is what redemption looks like. So let's get really practical, Marcus. You've been scarred by a sibling. You were really, really hurt by your twin brother and by men in general. So practically speaking, what does healing look like for you now in your life? What healing looks like for me now, and this was something that just came up within the last couple of months is recognizing that I am trying to invest more energy into a relationship than other people are wanting to invest into. Hmm. And that was one of the things causing me more heartache. I was pursuing both of my brothers and I can't tell you how many times I seem to be the only one who gave a damn about developing and building a relationship with them as adults now. And I kept trying and they would cancel. They would need to reschedule. Something would come up and it just never happened. For two years, I was the only one trying. And I just realized why. Why am I investing all of my time and energy into these people that I have good relationships with? I love them. They will forever be a part of my life, but they're not giving me the time or the energy that 
I'm giving to them, it's like I'm giving, 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 and they're just taking. And yet I look over on this other side and I have friends who are like, hey, you, you know, the next time that you're doing a stream on Twitch, if you ever stream this game, let me know. I want to play it with you. Hmm. You know, one of my one of my now good friends from the group coaching, he and he invited me to his Minecraft server. I am now building a castle in the sky on his Minecraft server. <laughs> and it's because he wanted to spend time with me. And why am I investing time in people that are just taking when I have other people over here who are ready and willing to give and they want to spend time with me? A part of my redemptive healing is I recognize that and I am spending more time with people who want to spend time with me. Yes. And let me make a connection between what you just said and what you said earlier. Your brother said, oh, that's Marcus. You can just ignore him. What you're saying now is, no, I do not deserve to be treated that way. That's not okay. I will not be ignored by people that I'm giving my heart to. I'm going to give it to people who really want to receive me, to be with me, and who I want to be with. And you're going to invest in those people rather than the ones who ignore you. Exactly. Even if it's your brother. Even if there's a feeling like I'm supposed to be close to that person. There was one thing that I heard on a podcast a couple of weeks ago that just really, really hit home for me in this area is that I don't owe my family anything. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have been there for me. I grew up with them. They have hurt me. They have loved me. They have supported me. They have not supported me. I don't owe them anything if they are not willing to meet me in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I have all of these other men that are like, hey, we're waiting for you over here. You just need to come meet us in the middle. And you know what? I'm meeting them in the middle and I'm having the best time of my life (laughs) since I got on this road of recovery. Yeah, you told me about that day that you set aside to play that game with some of those guys, and it just sounded like such a blast. And we have done it another time since, and there is just abundant laughter, and we're coming up with so many inside jokes that, you know what, other people aren't going to get it, but for me in this group, it doesn't matter. We're having fun. We're laughing. I'm spending time with people who love me and they accept me for where I am. And they see all of the the scars, all of the blemishes, and they still see me for the beautiful person Mm -hmm. that I am. And they're like, wow, this guy, yeah, I want to spend more time with him. And I am in return saying, you know what? I'm going to spend more time with you guys too, because it is life-giving. It's brotherhood. It really is. It is true brotherhood. You know, we grow up with siblings and they're the brothers that we don't get to choose. 
Mm-hmm. And you know what? I have brothers that I can choose. Yeah. And these guys, oh, they're the best brothers I've ever had. Considering I had a twin brother that I was the closest to compared to anyone except for my wife these days. Now I have brothers that are not of my blood, but I am closer to them than my blood brothers. Your brothers by the blood of Jesus. Exactly. And it doesn't take away the sorrow. And the hole left by your twin brother, it does give you such a beautiful gift from God in a place where you have been longing to receive that true brotherhood for years. So let's talk about guys who resonate with this experience of being scarred by a sibling or even by the lack of siblings, where there's that desire for deep brotherhood. What advice would you give? Say that you do have siblings and you've been hurt by those siblings. And if you're in the same position that I am, those siblings still hurt you today. You need to set healthy boundaries with them. Again, you don't owe them anything. I have nieces and nephews that love to spend time with me. And my brothers love to rope me into doing things so I can spend more time with them. I'm sorry. If I'm busy, I'm not going to bend over backwards to do that. If I don't feel like it's going to be a safe environment, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. I need to take care of myself. I need to make sure that I am safe. And the only way to be safe around others is by having safe boundaries, healthy boundaries. If they are willing to honor your boundaries and create a safe environment for you, then you can go knowing that there is going to be health and freedom in that relationship. And if they cross over that boundary, they crossed over it. You don't engage, you go. If you don't have siblings, if you are in fact an only child, and this is something that you're wanting to experience, And say that you don't have healthy relationships with your siblings and you're deeply seeking that and desiring that. Like I found myself, groups is a great place to find like-hearted and like-minded men who will love and accept you for where you're at. I have great friends from Husband Material Academy who are parts of my triad. And I connected with them regularly. I have guys from the 12 weeks of group coaching I did through Drew. And I'm still connecting with these guys. They're still connecting with me. And I am finding this brotherhood because I was put into a safe environment where it was perfectly okay for me to bring my worst And I still found love and acceptance. Yes. And this is not to say you need to pay money in order to get this kind of brotherhood. What it's saying is the academy and our private small groups are a container for commitment where men are investing. Men are saying, I want to go deep. So I'm going to invest in this. And that creates a space where these kinds of friendships can unfold. 
and it's not the only way to do it. It is a really powerful way to do it. And I'm excited to announce that Marcus and I and Stephen Thomas will be opening up some more groups this summer. Yeah, and I'm excited to step in and share my experiences and create that safe environment for others to find that brotherhood that they have been so desperately seeking. And to comment again on what you're saying, Drew, you don't need to pay for this. If you are a part of a small group at your local church and there are and there are people in there, there's men in there where it's like, man, I, I kind of feel drawn to this individual, then pursue that. See what comes from it. There's the Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, we have the new um, husband material community. That is a great place to connect with people and find others that you jive with and you're willing to connect with and find those brothers. And if you want to go really deep in a guided, facilitated format where Marcus or I or Stephen will be leading the way because we've been through this before and we are constantly learning how to improve this experience for you guys, then we would love for you to join us. And you can do that at the link in the show notes, husbandmaterial.com slash group. And if you are interested in working with Marcus specifically, I'm excited that you're getting your coaching business started and offering free sessions. So where can people go to sign up to meet with you? So the best way to go is to go to my website, which is betweenthecoverscoaching.com. And you can also email me at marcus.spar at gmail.com. And you can reach out via phone or text. Uh, my number is 509. Oh, geez. You'd think I'd have it memorized by now. It's 509-870-7081. And okay. that's, that's information you can find on my website, just on the contact me. I am open to email. I'm open to phone calls, open to text. We can work out a way to get a free session to where we can see if it's going to be a good fit and move forward from there. Yeah. And even to just dip your toes into the story between the covers. I'm really excited for you, Marcus, to be stepping into this space and all of the ripple effects that will come from it. Even as we face so much opposition in doing this work, as we said before, we're giving our heart to it because it's a mess worth making. It is a mess worth making. And I just have to comment about your background and some of the epic symbols that I see on the walls. There are swords on the walls. There's a shield. There's even a pillow of unicorn's revenge. Yes. My, my, my cartridge pillow of unicorn's revenge. And, um, if you don't mind, you guys can't see it on this wall here, but I actually have a rack of swords and I want to show you guys this here. Wow. This was the biggest surprise that my wife ever gave me. And you want to talk about being the hero of your own story. This is a specific sword it's called a Sakabato. It is sharpened on the reverse edge. It is a weapon that is meant to protect, not to harm. Wow. 
And when my wife gave this to me, you want to talk about something that was very life-giving. It just, it made me feel like, wow, she understands and knows that I'm not the villain. And yes, this room, going back to what you're saying, is a celebration of my nerddom. I have swords over here. I have metal posters on three places. I even have an anniversary drawing from my nephew hanging up on a shelf that's out of frame, unfortunately. But it's it's all the things that I enjoy. Yeah. All cooped up in one little room where I do a lot of my recording. <laughs> and where now... You are leading others to freedom. Exactly. Marcus, what is your favorite thing about freedom from porn? So I'm going to cheat a little bit because I have two favorite things. The first thing is that I have found my creativity that was stolen from me over two decades ago. And the other thing about being free from porn is that I am the hero of my own story. The epic is unfolding. It is an epic story. It's an epic journey. Who wants to join us on it? Let's go. (laughs) I feel like we're the Fellowship of the Ring or Harry Potter against Lord Voldemort or the children, Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund, uh, you know, following Aslan. Guys, let's go. Let's do this. Let's reverse the curse together and outgrow pornography once and for all. Marcus, thank you for joining us today. And for everyone else out there, always remember, you are God's beloved son. And in you, he's well pleased. (laughs) 